So if you have been with us, you know this morning uh, we are continuing our series, or we've been in the series in the book of Genesis, where we have been walking through the first 11 chapters and seeing what the Bible reveals to us about the creation of everything that we experience, the heavens and the earth. We've walked through the first two chapters over these last several weeks, and today will be our Last message, it's a little bit out of Genesis chapter 2. We'll use there as a jumping spot. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when God created his greatest creation, the most perfect creation, the pinnacle, the peak, the top, the very best, when God created woman. And all the men said, amen. You better say, <laughs> you better say amen. We talked about the differences between men and women. And it's my hope that the differences that we walk through have given you a greater appreciation for the ladies in your life or for the men in your life. We talked about how God created men and women and that men and women are very, very similar. But we also talked about how they're very, very different. Once again, everybody said amen. But this difference serves a purpose. The differences benefit both sexes as they marry someone of the opposite sex. It doesn't complete them because we can only be completed in Christ, but it helps them to grow and to become the men and women God has called us to be. And that this connection that we have when we come into marriage, it's like a puzzle as we fit together, as we're perfectly different. But unlike a puzzle that you put in the box when you're done. This puzzle is meant to stay together for the rest of your lives. Remember we read in Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife and they shall become one flesh. Today, we're gonna hit a really tough, tough topic we're going to talk about what happens when that husband and that wife do not hold fast to one another. Today, we're going to talk about divorce. Now, I realize you probably didn't get up this morning and shovel off your car and go out in the cold hoping to hear a message on this subject. I know driving here, you're not thinking, I wonder what Jeff's going to preach on today. Oh, I hope it is a message on divorce. Been waiting for one. And to be honest, I do not enjoy preaching a message on this topic because I know that there's probably a lot of people out of here that have a lot of deep hurt and pain that they have experienced because of divorce, either directly or indirectly. But it's because of those deep hurts and pains that we have to talk about divorce. Because divorce is not what God designed for humanity, as we read in Genesis 2. And so we want to talk about what God did design for humanity and how that plays out in a sinful world. Now, divorce is a really complicated subject. And so I'm sure I'm not going to be able to cover every question that comes to your mind. And so I encourage you, as always, to follow up with me afterwards. If you have a question, shoot me a text or give me a call or what have you. 
And I, I also know this is a really emotional subject, and so I may say some things that upset you uh, or that you might not disagree with. Or I may, say, I may not say some things you really wish I would have said. I'm going to ask in those moments that for your grace and that you give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm an imperfect man doing the best I can to interpret the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say these because I don't want anyone to be distracted from what I believe God wants to speak today. For there's a message to be heard by everyone listening, regardless of relationship status or age. There's couples in here that are struggling, watching that are struggling. There's people that have suffered through divorce. Even you young people who go to school and deal with kids who are just miserable to deal with. Some of you don't even realize you're dealing with them because of divorces that those kids are going through. And so even in this message, you have an opportunity to have your eyes open to them and a way to encourage and to love them. There's a message here for everyone. And so I pray that we all ask the Lord to help us see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So as we talk about this, we're going to go to Matthew 19, and we're going to find a group of Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a bunch of religious leaders who could not stand Jesus at all. And they came to ask Jesus a question about divorce. Matthew 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him, speaking of Jesus, by asking, is it lawful, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So back in Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament that follows the nation of Israel, Moses, who was the leader of the Israelites, this is thousands of years before Jesus, they gave this law, he gave this, this permission, if you will, that a man could divorce a woman if he found any indecency in her at all. And so thousands of years have passed since this permission was given by Moses, and there was some disagreement over what it meant. What did it mean for a man to be able to divorce a woman? And so they come to Jesus with this. Because there was one camp, Jewish camp, and they said, you know, if it, to be indecent meant to just be unfaithful to your spouse, physically unfaithful. That was the only reason you could divorce her. The other camp had a much more liberal view of indecent. It meant literally anything that you didn't like about her. If she had, you know, an indecent tone in her voice, if she had indecent cooking skills, if she had indecent morning breath. And I know this is funny, but I'm actually not joking. One, uh, one uh, rabbi who kind of head up this liberal movement, he is quoted as saying, if she consistently burns the bread, you may divorce her. Now, even a couple thousand years later, this question is still relevant to us because as a society, we hold to this liberal view of divorce. This is why we have such things as no default divorces, where we claim uh, irreconcilable differences or incompatibility as a reason to be divorced. We have such a liberal view of divorce that it's often celebrated. In fact, you can go on Amazon and if you search up divorce party, it'll give you a whole host of options of divorce party supplies you can buy with balloons and banners and tablecloths and little napkins that say finally divorced. 
So this is a relevant question for us to have Jesus answer to, for us today. So how does Jesus respond to this question? He says in Matthew 9, 4, he says, Have you not read that he, speaking of God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then in verse 6, he goes on. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, as we hear in so many wedding ceremonies. Jesus says, listen, if you want to know how to handle divorce, you need to look back to what marriage is supposed to be. He says, two people come together, they become one flesh. Not two just becoming closer together, but two becoming one flesh. And the Hebrew word here, it means to cement together, to super glue together, to gorilla glue together. And this had several purposes. One, it provided companionship. God said it's not good for man to be alone. It, it caused man and woman to become more holy. It, it helped to fulfill the command to multiply, because you need two to multiply, to subdue the earth. But most of all, and we often miss this, marriage was created to bring glory to God. This is the most ultimate thing that we can say about marriage, that it exists for God's glory. Do you know that about your marriage if you are married? Your marriage exists primarily for the glory of God. That's it, to display God's glory. Marriage in scripture is patterned after Jesus Christ's covenant relationship to the church. And therefore, the highest and most purposed meaning that we can have of marriage is to put this relationship uh, that we have with Christ on display for those around us. This is why marriage exists. I don't have time to jump into it today, but in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about this. He refers to the divine institution of marriage. That God created marriage from the very beginning to be a depiction of Christ's love and undying commitment and servitude to the church. That is the purpose of marriage. Have you ever considered this about your marriage? The way that you conduct and live your marriage can reveal the love of Christ to those around you. Those who claim to be followers of Christ should have stronger and more godly marriages, obviously, than anyone, because it has a greater purpose to it. On the flip side, divorce robs people of seeing the gospel. It robs people of seeing the gospel. It robs the man and the wife of participating in the sanctification process of becoming like Christ, as you are putting a closed uh, environment with another person who is different than you, and you learn to grow and work together. It robs children of seeing the glory of God displayed to them. I am a child of divorced parents. I didn't have a mother and a father pouring into me growing up from the time I was born. I didn't get to see my mother and my father teach me about forgiveness 
I didn't get to see my mother and my father teach me about commitment. I didn't get to see my mother and father teach me about humility as I grew up. I didn't get to see my mother and father teach me about unconditional love. I was forced to be in the middle as the war of their marriage continued even after divorce. And I'm not trying to speak ill of my parents. They did not know Christ. They were just living for themselves. As we are all tempted to do. Divorce is horrible. As one pastor said, divorce is always the death of a small civilization. It touches not just the lives of those getting divorced, but everybody around them. And the kids are the ones who do suffer the most. It, it blows up their world. There's multiple studies, non-Christian and Christian, you can read, where those kids who are of divorced parents, they struggle in school more. They're more likely to endure poverty. They're more likely to struggle emotionally. And it's not like that the freedom of divorce that we often think where the, the, green, the grass is going to be greener, is, is, it's rarely greener. Even those who remarry, they find themselves, the second marriages find themselves even a higher divorce rate than first marriages. Divorce is tragic. And we have watched in our society as the breakdown of the family unit has touched every other area of our country. And that's a whole message in itself. Man, I'll tell you right now, if you have trouble believing in God of the Bible, just look at the fruit of what happens when we don't listen to his word. His word. It's plain and day. Plain as day as you look in our society. Now, obviously, Jesus changes things. Because I get to stand here even as a child of divorced parents because God put godly people in my life by his grace and his mercy. I get to stand here and preach to you today. He can make the broken whole. In him, there's hope for children of divorce. There's comfort, and there's security, and there's purpose. And through his grace and his mercy and his endless patience, I have learned what a healthy marriage should look like. And there's love and comfort for those who have come through divorce because his grace and his mercy are never ending. And he can redeem even the ugliest situations for his glory. But divorce is horrible. It is a painful and horrible thing. As I'm sure many of you have experienced. So Jesus, he gives this response. And then the Pharisees, they question him back. And they say... They say to him, why then, if what you say is true, why then, did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Because Moses said, look, if you're going to divorce your wife, because women in those times struggled to have, uh, have a power, they were not always treated the best, he said, you need to give her a certificate. You need to give her a certificate of divorce to show that he is released. She is released, and I'll tell you why in a minute. And Jesus answers the Pharisees' question. He says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. 
Divorce only exists because of sin. It only exists because of sin. He says, look, because of your hardness, Moses allowed. There is a difference between permission and a preference. Moses allowed it. God allows it. That does not mean it's part of his design. It's because of sin. Because as husbands and wives, we often choose not to love each other as we have committed to. We base it on our own selfish feelings as opposed to the commitment that we have made to one another. Praise God that Christ does not treat us based on his feelings about us, but his commitment to us. For we fail him often, do we not? And yet he never leaves us or forsakes us. Yet we leave and forsake each other all the time. So divorce sometimes is permitted by God. And often I think it's to protect the unoffending spouse. This is why Moses said, look, you're going to divorce your wife. Well, that's what you're going to do. But give her a certificate to show that it was not her fault that she may be seen and taken care of in society. For in those days, to be married was seen as a very high esteem. To be single, especially as a lady, was to be seen very low, which is unfortunate, but but it is what it is, or was what it was. And he said to do this to protect the lady, to protect them from dealing with further damage of the unfaithfulness of the spouse. And I believe those permissions that God gives for divorce, and he, for those very reasons, continue on to today. So what are some of the reasons that divorce is permitted? He answers this in Matthew 9. He says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Why is this an exception? Because of the logic behind it. You see, adultery kills the covenant, the commitment you've made to become one flesh. When someone unites themselves with another person physically, they have destroyed that covenant with their spouse. It's the same reason that you're free to remarry when your spouse dies. Because the covenant with them is dead because they are dead. Adultery kills the covenant, which makes divorce allowed in the eyes of God. Another reason you see is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he reaffirms the importance of marriage. He says, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. The word separate there means divorce. So he reaffirms the importance of marriage, and then he addresses a brand new situation that wasn't around in the time of Jesus. He says this, to the rest, I, I, not the Lord, because the Lord wouldn't have spoken to this problem because it didn't exist, that if any brother has a wife, brother meaning Christian, has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. 
So the reason Paul is saying this is all of these people, Christianity was really new, and all these people were becoming Christian. And this was foreign to everybody else. So some spouses were like, look, you've lost your mind. You've become crazy. With the, you're like a Jesus freak, as DC Talk would say. And they didn't want to be around this faith. And so it made it easy for some Christians to feel like, I, I, I can't stay married to them. They, they won't have this. And for any of you who are a follower of Christ and you're married to a non-Christian, you know how hard it is to live that life, especially if your spouse is hostile to your faith. But Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing, don't leave them. And he goes on to say, because you might be the one who leads them to Christ. But then he gives this caveat. In verse 15, he says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, for God has called you to peace. You see, it's the same logic that's used. Their abandonment has brought death to the covenant. And let me sidestep and say this. There's a difference between repentant adultery, repentant abandonment, and unrepentant adultery, and unrepentant abandonment. If, if, if a husband or a wife storms out of the house and goes to a hotel for a night, which is never good, they haven't abandoned the marriage. They acted in anger and frustration, but they haven't abandoned the marriage. If they, if they move out, and they're like, I'm done, and they don't come back, then, and they're unrepentant, then they've abandoned the marriage. And adultery is a horrible, painful thing, but there's a difference between a spouse who gives in to temptation in an instant, and a spouse who knowingly continues on in an adulterous, unfaithful relationship over and over again. That brings death to the covenant. Now, there's some people who ask about other situations like abuse. If you're in an emotionally, verbally, or physically abusive marriage, I mean, what does God want you to sit and suffer? Well, I'm not sure there's any pastor who would say, yeah, if you're getting emotionally, verbally, physically abused, you need to stay in that house and just take it. Take it like a Christian. In fact, here at Echo Lake, we have a policy that if any spouse is being physically abused uh, by the other spouse, that uh, we'll take two or three of our buffest, strongest, and meanest church leaders, and we'll go lay hands on that person for prayer and encouragement. Now, outside of a danger like abuse, I want to be clear, as a pastor, I never, almost never recommend or encourage separation. Because every time you take a step one way, it's easier to take a step another way. And because we're selfish and sinful creatures, we, we always want to do what's easiest and best for us. And when you're in a hostile or tough marriage and you get into the peace and quiet of your own apartment, you don't have to fight all the time, oh, it's so easy to keep going that way. When you are one flesh, you can only heal together. If my arm gets broken tomorrow, I'm not going to chop it off until my arm heals and then reattach it. You're one flesh. You're broken together. You heal together. But in a case of abuse, I would never recommend a spouse to stay in that. But let me be clear that divorce and separation are two different things. So just because a spouse separates over abuse doesn't mean that they should necessarily divorce. 
We'll talk more about how you handle that in a minute. Now, could you divorce someone over abuse or something like that? Something extreme. Well, there's some that would say no. Outside of abandonment, of an unbelieving spouse, outside of adultery, you can't. Now, there's some would say otherwise. They'll go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15, and these are godly men. And they'll look at this phrase. You'll see here, I highlighted most of it in yellow. It says, in such cases. This phrase is no where is not used anywhere else in the Bible. Not anywhere else. And so anytime you have a phrase that's not used anywhere else in the Bible, you'll go to extra biblical sources and see how the Greek was used in those sources. And so if you look for this phrase in extra biblical sources, um, not even religious text, uh, text, just historical sources where they're writing about a subject, every time it's used, it seems to apply to bigger than one situation. That goes beyond the one example that is given. So in that case, if, Paul, if that's what Paul is saying, he says, in cases like abuse or other things that are as extreme. I mean, as a, cases like abandonment or other things that are extreme or being deaf like abandonment would, maybe abuse being one of them. And this can be backed up because Paul, he uses the plural here in the Greek, in such cases. And everywhere else where he's talking about, and there's two or three times in the New Testament, Corinthians and somewhere else, where he's talking about a specific situation, he uses the Greek in the singular. Now, personally, and so, so some would say, if the abuse is extreme enough and unrepentant, then that's bringing death to the covenant. Now, I can see the merits of where these theologians are coming from. I'm still torn on this because Scripture doesn't make it crystal clear. Remember, these people, as they were writing, they're not sitting there, let me think how to answer every single question that comes along. They're addressing the situations that are going on in that time. And to be honest, I'm hesitant to even mention it because after 17 years of counseling, I know there are some who are going to use this as an excuse to get out of a marriage that they just don't want to be in anymore. They're going to claim some sort of emotional or verbal abuse when in reality they have as much to be blamed for in this relationship as the other person. They just, all they want to do is just get out. They haven't put the work in. They haven't sought marriage counseling. They haven't devoted their life to Christ and actually practically lived it out with their spouse. They're just going to ignore the part they played and be the victim so they can get out. And I just want to say this to anybody who's tempted to this. God is not fooled. We read in 1 Samuel, he sees your heart. He knows your intentions. And if you want to use the grace of God as an excuse to get out of a bad marriage, you know, I, I dare to say that on judgment day, you're going to have a bigger problem because your faith really isn't in Christ. A good way to check your heart, to make sure that you're really trying to honor God, is when you're in a situation like this where you're consider, your, divorce, your marriage has become this extreme, is to meet with your church leaders and say, here is where I'm at, I want to honor God, and to let them speak truth and life into you. Let them pour wisdom into you. That is the evidence of someone who really wants to do what honors God and not what they think is best or easiest for that. Now, even if these theologians are right about what Paul says when they say in, in these cases, in my 17 years of doing marriage counseling, and I've counseled a lot of couples, there is maybe one 
where this abuse has become so extreme that I would consider this valid? Maybe one. Most of the time, marriage has just got so bad because the husband and wife have spent so many weeks, months, and years not honoring one another as God has commanded to them to. And I just say this because we live in a time where divorce is so easy. Remember seeing a billboard once. It says, life is short, get a divorce. Put up by a divorce lawyer, obviously. It's just so easy. But really, divorce, divorce should not be as easy as it is to us in our hearts. It should be as extreme to us as cutting off a limb of our body. If we walked in and we saw a doctor and he goes, look, I got leg pains. He goes, all right, we're going to cut it off. Whoa, (laughs) slow down. I'm going to get a second, a third, and a fourth opinion. I'm going to do everything I can before I chop that leg. This is how we should treat divorce. It should be the last and most drastic thing that we do. And if it's not for biblical reasons, we shouldn't be doing it at all. Now, anytime I talk about this, this is where I'll get some people who will ask me like, okay, I got divorced. I sinned against God because we just, it was like a no-fault divorce and I'm remarried now. What, I mean, what do I do? You know, do I divorce the person I'm with and go back? And I'm always like, well, you know, do you like the person you're divorced, you're married to now? You know, no, I don't ask that. I say this. You are in a new covenant now with your new spouse. And not that you would, but I don't think you should divorce your current spouse. Whether your marriage should have happened or not happened is a mute point now because you're there. Instead, I would focus on making your marriage the marriage that God would want it to be. That you would thank him for his grace and his mercy, his death and his resurrection, and, 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 and thank him that through the power of his spirit, that he never leaves you or forsakes you. That you would say, Lord, I failed in my first marriage. Your grace and your mercy, you haven't left me. Help me to become the husband or the wife that I, you have called me to be. Because God can bring beauty and goodness out of anything. Man, look at David and Bathsheba. Their relationship started under the worst circumstances. David, King David, he had an affair with an, uh, a married woman, and then he had her husband almost pretty much murdered when she got pregnant. It's like a soap opera. And yet he confessed and he repented, and there were consequences for his sin, no doubt, but God blessed the marriage. And out of that marriage came King Solomon, David's son. And Solomon had a son who had a son and had a son and had a son whose name was, anybody know? Jesus. God brought Jesus out of a sexual relationship that began as an affair and led to murder. Listen, if God can bring something good out of that, there ain't nothing he can't bring good out of. Some will say, okay, well, I got divorced and now I'm single. Well, if you're divorced for a biblical reason, then you can get remarried. I wouldn't rush into remarriage because usually the problems that you had and contributed to your first marriage, they're going to follow you into a second. I make sure you're strong in the Lord first. But I wouldn't, be in a, I wouldn't think that you have to get married. Scripture says several times that singleness can be a gift. You don't need marriage to be happy. In fact, it may be better for you and your kids from your first marriage if you stayed single. I don't know. 
something to seek the Lord on. Now, if you got a divorce for an unbiblical reason, then as I read the scripture, you, you need to repent of God for that. Ask his forgiveness and then let the gospel meet all of your needs to live a single life that is solely focused on the kingdom of God until the day comes where the ultimate wedding takes place and you are joined together with Jesus for all of eternity. Some will ask me, well, I wasn't a Christian when I got divorced. Well, there's some will say tough noogies, you know, when you tell the, you know, get pulled over for speeding and you tell the officer, I didn't see the speeding sign, well, you still get the ticket. I take a different approach. God forgive me if I am wrong, but I believe if you weren't a Christian, we read in scripture that you become a new creation. You never had an opportunity to experience marriage as God intended. And so I apply grace in this area. Now, what about those of you that are still married? And maybe you haven't said it out loud, but you're considering divorce. With everything in me, I urge you to remember and consider the precious, precious power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if you have biblical grounds for divorce, I consider you and I urge you to consider the power of the gospel. It can change the hardest of hearts. I have watched it bring light where there was only darkness. As we just talked about, it can bring beauty out of the ashes. I pray that you would keep restoration and reconciliation in the forefront of your mind, that you would keep forgiveness at the forefront of your mind, not because your husband or your wife deserves it, but because you never deserved it, and yet you received that from Christ. That you would remember the teaching that, that Jesus gave in Matthew 18, which, which is right before he talks about divorce, where he talks about the unforgiving servant who was forgiven extravagantly by the king and yet would not pass that around to others. You know, and sometimes that means, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you need to be the strength for your spouse for a while. But, but you say, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to commit to them. I'm willing to help them because God has been the strength for me. He has held me up. He has not lost faith in me. He has given me what I needed. He has encouraged me when I was down. That you would also ask God for humility. I tell you right now, Every marriage I have ever counseled, everyone, both have played a role. Both have played a role. In fact, there's this great, great quote that says, in every marriage more than a week old, there are grounds for divorce. The trick is to find and continue to find grounds for marriage. Marriages do not happen by accident. The stupid Hollywood, I'm going to call it stupid, the stupid love stories that we see in movies and stuff with sweet, sappy music and, and extra beautiful people that have been photoshopped to death, it is a lie. I'll tell you it's a lie because you see the people who play these roles end up in divorce after divorce and divorce in Hollywood. Happy marriages are a result of commitment to one another. Love. Understanding, lots and lots and lots of sacrifice and a lot of hard work. And most of all, humility to understand you're both broken. You realize that? 
You're both broken in your marriage. You're both sinful. You both have blame. And outside of God, and this will tell you why divorce rates are so high, there's no hope. Because without God, you don't see your brokenness as much as you see theirs. And you have nothing to hope in bigger than yourself. But because of God, we can say, I'm a broken husband. My wife is a broken wife because we're sinful. But because of his power and his word and his graciousness and his patience, we can be made whole together. So even if you're in a marriage that is struggling and broken, your marriage may not show the glory of God now like it's intended, but I tell you, some of the best, best displays of God's glory is when a marriage is broken and yet people stay committed to each other in humility and love. And as those around them, including their children, see them become whole, it testifies to the power of God in a much greater way.